Hi, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. This is Mariana. And Elizabeth. Hi. Hey, did I tell you that uh, Sam has allowed me to use his really super fancy mic? Oh, no. That's awesome. Yes, because, well... (laughs) Even after the earphone incident? Shh, wait. He forgot about that. (laughs) Don't mention it. Too late. Oh, no. Well, this might be my last time using his nice mic. But after you got your mic, your new one, you know, uh-huh. he said that your voice quality was so good, your audio quality was so good <laughs> that I needed to step mine up. And nice. so he's got a nice Yeti mic. Oh, and okay. it has a stand. And so I can like swing out the mic and swing it towards me. It's oh, very, that's fancy. It's very fancy. I don't have to lean over to the desk. It's like a podcasting studio here. That's awesome. In our think, eight in our eight year old's bedroom. I was Skyping with a friend of mine the other day and who has never been out to visit me and so we were giving him a virtual tour of the apartment and he saw the microphone on the table and he was like, What <laughs> is that? <laughs> and you told him I'm a podcasting like, star. So I podcast now, by the way. And he's like, What? I was like, Oh yeah. Not just one, but two. I know. I do work on two podcasts. Actually, uh, I think I'm going to start another one on Sunday. Are you? Yeah, on the Thinking.fm network, we're going to do, uh, well, you know, Thomas and Sam have the, re- the thinking religion. Yeah. So they talk about, you know, academic things in the world and the academy of religion, really uh, religion departments and those kinds of things. So we're going to start another podcast that has to do with parish ministry. Cool. Or more, uh, less academic, more... Day-to-day. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily... Actually, I don't know if it's going to be parish ministry. I guess we'll (laughs) we'll just have to see how it goes. Whatever you end up talking about. Yep. Is it going to be just you, or are you going to talk with somebody else, or...? No, I'm going to co-host with one of my friends uh, from seminary, and actually we knew each other growing up, too, so... We're going to have a go of it, you know, when I'm six weeks from giving birth. You know. It's like the perfect time to start another project. Exactly. Perfect time to start something new. I mean, I just cleaned out another closet, so (laughs) there's a space in my life. So my therapist is due, I think, right around the same time as you. Oh, really? And she's been doing the whole nesting thing as well. She came in the other day and was telling me how, like, she was. She brought her car with her that day. She usually takes her bike, and she's like, but I brought my car because I'm going to Ace after this, and I'm going to buy a whole bunch of, like, plastic bins so that I can, like, organize and put, Ooh, you know. plastic bins. <laughs> I know. That's like, a good idea. <laughs> I know. I thought I'd mention it, you know, help you out a little. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the, that's the hardest thing. We've been going through books at our house mm-hmm. because... We have, I told you, we sponsor two little free libraries, but we're also going to sponsor a little free lab library in Zimbabwe at a children's home there. And so mm-hmm. we're trying to go through. But also when I go to different conferences, I sell discount books, you know, books that I used in my classroom or books that I've come across or books that I've bought and I'm ready to release back into the general populace. Mm-hmm. And also I found that having discount books actually gets people to come into the booth and yeah. oftentimes it increases sales because they hang around and then they learn about other books. So I have had those, I just had a conference last week. Oh, I could tell you about that. 
Yeah, you should should tell me about that. So I tell our listeners about that. (laughs) Yes, I should. So I had the box ready to go to that one, and then I have one more conference before baby comes, hopefully. And those, then I have the discount books waiting for that conference, sitting in the hallway. Mm. Boxes, boxes, boxes. And Sam, every once in a while, comes and he's like, "So what are we doing with this?" And I'm like, "Don't touch those. (laughs) Those go this, and this goes this on this date, okay? And then they'll be out of the way." But they have to sit here until, unless you want to take him down to my car. Right. <laughs> right. So we went to a, a social studies conference, and the state social studies conference. And it was, okay, so here's an interesting idea as you are considering conferences. Mm. So they, the social studies conference, the South Carolina social studies conference, so it's not just a, it's a statewide, has always been really creative in their venues. So like two years ago, they were on the U.S. Yorktown, like the boat. Fancy. Yes. And they did the conference there. Last year, they, I think they were here in Columbia, actually, at the museum or something like that. But this year, they were in Greenville at the Greenville Drive Stadium, which is a minor league baseball mm-hmm. stadium. Okay, so all of the vendors were set up in the concourse, you know, where you, like, go to get your food and your hot dogs and right. those kinds yeah. of things, right? And so then we then we were wondering, so where are the breakout sessions going to be? Turns out that there are all these suites on the second floor oh, nice. that are like boxes, you know, that you can right. buy or companies can buy. So it was great. You know, it was like nice and cool when we were setting up our booths. You got the feeling of being outside, but you were still covered. You know, it was <laughs> awesome. And then the next day, it started raining. And it mm-hmm. wasn't just rain, it was blowing rain. Oh, no. So that rain came through the concourse, and it became kind of comical, not only because it was about 15 degrees colder than everybody thought, mm-hmm. but also because, you know, at booths you have these big old posters and all these things, all this display. Right. And it, I mean, you just had to chase your <laughs> cards <laughs> and everything else that we're coming, you know, we're getting blown off your table. Oh, no. So National Geographic was there. And it was hilarious because this guy had only, um, I guess he had, I don't know where he was coming from, but he had only worn uh, like a yellow polo that has National Geographic, you know, like that you see at conferences. And it was freezing. I mean, it was like 61 degrees and like cold wind. So he took his tablecloth and wrapped he it around. He wrapped in his tablecloth. That's yes. so sad. And he, but it showed National Geographic, you know, so he was still supporting right. National Geographic in it. And the I conference, wonder what his boss would think. I know. But the conference, part of the conference, uh, they had given out blankets as like with their South Carolina Social Studies Council or whatever. Mm-hmm. So everybody was just bundled up in those. It was <laughs> so crazy. The people who were, you know, the actual attendees were fine because they were in the rooms, you know, and they were just going from one room to the other. But so many vendors just decided to pack up and leave because Mm. it was just, I mean, everything, like even our books were getting a little warped from the dampness in the Mm -hmm. air. So we only had like one book out and people would come up and they were, they would say, can I buy this today? Do you have more? And we're like, yes, they're just being projected down in the boxes underneath the table. (laughs) You're like, please buy them. It was very, it's a very interesting experience. Hmm. So we'll see. I don't know. 
they were so nice, and the the conference organizers were walking around that morning, and they were like, could this get any worse? (laughs) (laughs) They were probably like, well, we didn't really plan for this contingency, and maybe we should have. Well, and that was the only type of weather that it would have been bad in, you know? Mm. I mean, even if it had been hot, it would have been cool under there because they had nice big fans. Mm-hmm. And the night before, you know, it was kind of a cooler night and it was perfect. We were all like, wow, this is an awesome venue. What a good idea. <laughs> oh, well. I mean, <laughs> did you did you at least have some good sales? We did, and we made some good contacts, too. But we, But this is interesting. I don't know if you like market analysis or not, but I've been thinking about this. So we were talking about, um, well, I have quite a few books, you know, that get sold to schools and class sets and those kinds of things. And we were talking about the change over the last five years in the school market. Mm -hmm. And this has a lot to do, and it's not just in South Carolina, it's really nationwide, has to do with you know, the common core curriculum and and those things coming in. But what we used to find five years ago when you went to a conference, teachers would come with a school credit card. Mm -hmm. And they would have a spending limit of 500 to maybe $1,000 to purchase new materials. And they would go to these conferences to purchase materials for the next year or for the Mm -hmm. next semester, depending on it. So we saw that for two years and we saw really good sales. Then we saw that the teachers weren't coming with credit cards anymore. So we saw that they were getting maybe one set of books and then the school would follow up and order class sets and those kinds of things. But they would still have like reimbursement or something or purchase orders, you know, those kinds of things Mm -hmm. that they could pay with. Well, in the last three years, what we've seen is that teachers are just paying for materials themselves. And in the first year that that was happening, we still saw pretty good sales because teachers were still buying books. Now, though, two years later, we're three years into, like, schools not buying materials for the teachers, not providing, you know, budget or whatever for them to be reimbursed. Mm -hmm. And so... Now, what we're seeing is just no sales, <laughs> or very few sales. Bummer. And this is, I mean, this is, okay, so here's a good question. So if this has been your market for 10 years, you know, and in five years you've seen these drastic changes in the buying, what do you do as an author? Right, what do you do? You have to look for new markets. That's right, you have to develop new markets. And you have to look for new markets. Well, okay, if you've spent the last five years not even trying to develop new markets, Mm -hmm. then what you're going to experience is a bad six months to a year, at least, of sales. Right, which means that it doesn't matter whether or not your sales are drying up in their current market. You should always be looking for new markets. Exactly. (laughs) It's like we planned this. It is. (laughs) Kind of like, I'm a good student. But, okay, so part of your job as an author, once you are become an author, is not only working in the audience where you know you are successful now, but also developing these new audiences for six months to a year from now. It's and, also part of your job as a solopreneur, small business owner. Oh, solopreneur. I like that one. Really? You haven't heard that before? No, I'm writing it I out. did not coin that term. Well, I wouldn't have known. <laughs> but 
you, right, so you catch did my you meaning there, from? yes. I do, but maybe our listeners don't. I live this life. <laughs> so, like, even for me, right, like, there are certain markets that I am focused on and working with right now, um, but I need to always be looking for um, more clients, different clients, people who um, are doing different things in the book industry um, or just the publishing plus publishing industry in general. So that if one day the authors that I work with stop writing, I'm not at the end of my business. Yes. But describe a little bit more the solopreneur, just the term in general. Oh, well, solopreneur is just that idea that you're, um, that you are in business for yourself. That's right. So it obviously comes from the word entrepreneur. Right. Entrepreneur, though, has the indication that perhaps you are starting a business with the intention of establishing a team as well. And making it grow, yeah. And, and making like it grow. investors and all that kind of stuff. Where and perhaps even selling it at some point. Right. But a solopreneur is, is someone is, who has developed something for themselves. And perhaps they incorporate other people, uh, you know, independent contractors for different parts. But right. The business aspect it is really... It's all you, on you. And, yeah, and you don't necessarily have a desire for that to be different. Right. I like that, Yeah, term. you're not looking to create an office somewhere. You're just doing your thing. Well, and you pull in resources as you need them. Exactly. But if you, I mean, this is a, actually, this is probably the most accurate term for an author, right? Yeah, definitely. Because you're not necessarily... Um, e even if you are a children's book author, you don't have, um, you know, you're still working for yourself and marketing yourself. Right. So do you know this? I, I was just looking this up. <laughs> do you know this um, podcast by Michael O'Neill called The Solopreneur Hour Podcast? Um, I may have heard of it. Possibly. Hey, but we'll look, link some. I'm getting distracted here because I'm, <laughs> I'm loving this term. How have I not encountered this? I don't know. I'm kind of surprised. I know. But you do have a lot of solopreneurs who work together. Like, for yes. instance, uh, Elizabeth and I could work together on a project, and I wouldn't be trying to hire her or trying to buy writing refinery, but we would be working in conjunction as two businesses together. Right. With a contract between us. Sure. That's so funny that you haven't heard that term. Yet. I know. I'm distracted now. I want to know. <laughs> I want to read all this. <laughs> So for and you, listen to all the podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm typing furiously here to get some articles in our show notes. Uh huh. For the people like me who are like, wow, I didn't know what that was. <laughs> well, the point being that you know you should always be looking for um, who else it is that you're going to work with, collaborate with. Um, who's your next client, all of that. Um, not not to the point where you neglect your current clients. No, but, but also you not putting pressure on them to be your only source of income. 
ever. Yeah, or yourself as well to maintain those clients because sometimes client relationships just run out. And I'm not <laughs> saying I'm not saying that you know it's been a bad relationship necessarily, but it's just time to move on to something different. You know, it's you've true. both gotten what you needed, and it's time to dissolve that relationship. Not, I mean, sometimes it happens because there's something bad that happens, right? But, but not always. Yeah, sometimes you're it's right. Just, sometimes you both grow. Maybe it was your first or second client, and so you've learned a few things, and um, they got some services from you for less than market value, and now you've learned those things, and now they're ready to move on. So this is something that you talk about a good bit, about determining pricing and when to reduce rates and that kind of thing. So have Mm -hmm. you come to any conclusions about when is the right time to do that? No. (laughs) Would you like to talk about your thought process a little bit? Um, no. Well, maybe. It, Not in it, specifics, but. So it just, um, for me, like it kind of goes back and forth between like a, a self-esteem thing of, you know, I shouldn't charge that much because I'm not worth that much, which is messed up and needs its own like therapy session or whatever. Um, but also then to just like looking at who it is that I want to be working with and um and what they're able to afford or not afford and then thinking about how much I want to work with them and like adjusting my prices accordingly that's kind of where I'm going with that so like if it's a human being who is especially hard to work with they might get charged a higher rate (laughs) than somebody that is an awesome like already published author that's looking for a new editor that um, I really would like the opportunity to work with. So. Yeah, and I think that's the the thing, too, is, okay, so when do you make those negotiations, right? Right, exactly. We all, all have the ability to do that, but as, you know, a solopreneur, you really have the option to reduce your rates in order to work with really great people. However, I will say that oftentimes what happens to me, at least, Mm. is that I reduce my rates before people even ask me to reduce my rates. And I sell myself short. Yeah, and so then they ask you to reduce them again, and you're like, oh. And so now you're in a double reduction, and you're barely making any money. Yeah. Yeah. But you do, I think, more and more in this economy – at least what I've seen, and I think Sam would say the same thing probably as he's dealt with people, is that people want more for less. Like they're looking for a really good deal. And and the problem with so, solopreneurs is that <laughs> you don't have a competitive market analysis that people have researched or people know. Like you can go online and you can say, okay, this kind of car for with these features – that was made in this year costs probably this much, you know, and you can, you can cross compare. You can do this with insurance, car insurance. You can do this with health insurance. And so people can get a ballpark market value. Right. But for some of these services that are developing outside of big industries, you you don't have that competitive market value or people don't do their research and realize what the competitive market value is. Well, and I think that the, people just value things differently. Like you value um, editing services differently than you would a car in the first place because 
I mean, a car is like physical. You can see it, you know, like, you know, exactly where, what it's going to do for you, where it's going to get you. Um, but like editing services are very intangible. Right. Um, so like, you know, or even a book, like even, even when you can hold a book in your hand, like it's still what you're actually getting is intangible because it's ideas, right? It's a story. Like, because everything else about the book is essentially the same. It's paper and a cover and ink. Like, that's what it boils down to. So, like, you can have the fanciest paper ever (laughs) and print it with gold, and people are still going to want it for really, really cheap. (laughs) Yeah. Because the intangibleness of idea makes people value it less as far as, like, what they're willing to give you for it. Absolutely. Like, not saying that they value the actual thing less. It's just they that they don't know how to visualize that. Well, and then you have the other thing of people who believe they can edit their own work. You know, so then it becomes a service that I don't really need. This is this is uh, superfluous, you know. I right. can edit my own work. Or I have this friend who said that they would edit my book for free. Or my mom is or an English Or my mom chair. used to be an English te- Oh, that's a classic <laughs> example. Yes. And she says it's great. And she said it was wonderful. Right. <laughs> and actually my former English teacher said it was really good too. Yeah. So this is why when I'm talking to authors or writers who are trying to become authors, I also mention the difference between a beta reader and an editor. Right. A beta reader is someone who is just giving you feedback, initial feedback. An editor is someone you hire to make your work better. Well, and even, you know, a beta reader should be someone other than your family or your girlfriend. (laughs) Because they are too biased. They're not going to tell you exactly what they think, no matter how much they say they're going to. Yeah, and I think here's the other thing that I run into is authors who have... um, asked people to read their work or asked them to give asked people to give them feedback and then they've promised them something mm-hmm. like I'll, I'll give you a free book I'll give you a review copy something like that and for me as a publisher that's extremely frustrating <laughs> you know mm-hmm. to walk into a situation and to know that you know an author has already promised 10 books away to different people um, and to try to help the author understand that there's a, there's, okay, so what, what do you call them? Industry standards, right? So mm-hmm. you were telling us about Microsoft Word being the industry standard and why that was. And there are also industry standards when you're asking people to participate in the creative process of making your book. Mm-hmm. So if you ask for someone to read your book as a beta reader or and or review your book, there's an expectation that you then give something in exchange. Usually that's a free book. Right. So when you ask people to do this and you don't know, you haven't done the, the research on what the industry or how the industry works, suddenly you've asked for six reviews and you've got to figure out on Kindle how to offer them free copies or something. Mm-hmm. And that's, that can get you in trouble with your audience. I mean, uh, so we're going back to the audience development. Like, okay, well, those are people that probably would have brought, bought your book anyways. Mm-hmm. And now you've lost a sale. And they might have reviewed it, too. And they might have reviewed it without you even asking them to. 
But I think some sometimes, uh, especially new authors, get kind of panicky that they're not going to have reviews or they're not going to, um, I don't know, make sales. Mm-hmm. I was And I was talking, I think I've already talked about this, but probably it was at least 10 episodes ago, so it's worth mentioning again. But I was talking... <laughs> I was talking to someone who was helping, um, and she she was just trying to help. You know, she's a a younger person, so a millennial who sometimes the millennials in this world get tagged as tech people and or marketing people when they really aren't, but it's just because they're millennials and they've mm-hmm. read so many articles about millennials knowing about marketing and <laughs> technology that people ask them to do stuff that probably they shouldn't agree to do mm-hmm. in general. So actually Sam and I were having this conversation about the schools where I ended up, you know, I was 27 when I was teaching and I was working with teachers who were, you know, 45, 65. And so I became the technology guru just because I knew how to work email. Mm-hmm. Although I didn't know anything about technology necessarily in the classroom but I knew how to turn on the projectors and I knew how to connect them to the computers. And so suddenly I'm a, a guru, right? Right, exactly. And it goes to your head. <laughs> you start to think that you know something about technology and you start to act like you know something about technology. Well, the same thing can happen to authors and or people who are asked to participate in the creative process of creating a book and or marketing a book and you start to think that you know something because something that you tried worked one time at this one place or with this one audience and so you start to think oh I know how to do this I know Mm -hmm. how to do this oh I need to send a review copy and then I'll follow up a week later and then a week later no that's not how it works at every place you know (laughs) it's not the the marketing and the building an audience and expanding your audience isn't something that works the same way every place. No. Nor is it something that's stagnant. Like I was just talking about the difference in how schools buy materials now. It's much different. And something that changed over the last five years and will continue to change. I do want to say, though, that um, like if you try something and it works and you try it again and it doesn't, that's okay. Exactly. You can, you can experiment with things. You just have to be prepared for things to go wrong because they may go wrong. And, and you have to remember not to get ahead of yourself and think that you're an expert when you're not. Um, And be willing to take advice from people who have more experience as well. Yeah. So there has to be some give and take. Yeah. But well, but you sh- that shouldn't stop you from if you've never done something before or if you've only done it once that shouldn't stop you from trying it again. No 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 Just no. Make sure that you know your limitations. Well, and you feel it out too. You know that you're not uh, trying to push things so hard, and, and that's what I that's what I've encountered is that people get so worried that their book's not going to sell is that they're pushing so hard uh, on people to buy it that it becomes a put off. Yeah. But going back to this 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 lady who got asked or this millennial who got asked to help someone promote the, her ebook launch. And so her market plan was to contact everybody that was going to buy the book. You know, okay. So we have this initial audience it's called, and mm-hmm. we know these people are going to buy the book. We know they're excited. We know that they know that the book, that the ebook's coming out. 
So she was going to get everybody to purchase the ebook on the same day to push the ebook to the number one in that category for that one day. Right. Yep. Which is not unheard of. Yeah. No, it's not. And then also these people, have, you know, some of them had agreed also to write five-star reviews. Okay. Even before, you know. Before they read the book. Well, I think they had had some exposure to the book. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. So, like, whoosh, one-day push, I call it. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and she was asking me what I thought about that because she knew I was in publishing. And I was like, well might work, but what, what's your plan for, like, day two? Right. Or what's your plan for day ten? <laughs> you know, you didn't really... Well, we're hoping that when it goes to the number one, if we get to the number one, then it'll just increase the sales, and sales will continue after that. Nope. And I was like, okay, but also, what right. happened? I mean, yeah, you can hope for that, but you don't really have a plan for sustaining those sales after that initial day push, <laughs> you know? Right. Who else are you going to talk to? Yeah. How are you going to build your markets? Yeah. And it's what I say to, I, I know, I know, I know authors want to end up on the New York Times bestseller list or wherever <laughs> they want to end up. But I say again and again, I would much rather work with authors who are consistently selling every month than authors who sell really well at the beginning and then peter off to nothing right because like have you heard of them probably like you may remember that they had a best-selling book once or you may not remember at all but that's and right we talk about elizabeth gilbert all the time but she talks about that about oh. how after eat pray love she was very concerned that she would never write another bestseller book not because she wanted to write a bestseller book, but because she wanted to keep writing. And she was going to keep writing. She said, I wasn't going to give up just after that book. Yeah. You know, and then I knew that the critique would always be, like, oh, well, it's not Ypres Love. But she said, I kind of wish I hadn't had a best-selling book. And I was like, thank you. Well, just since we're talking about her, I just got her new book. I just ordered it. It came in the mail yesterday. <gasps> Don't tell me. I haven't restarted it yet because I'm trying to finish another book, but I'm very excited. I'm, I'm super excited. I think yeah. I lasted a week before <laughs> before I purchased it. That's pretty good. Nice. You know, actually, she, um, she retweeted one of my tweets the other day. No way. Cause, yeah, because I was talking about how I was excited about it, the book coming out. And I like there was a quote in a um, a video interview that I heard of hers, watched of hers, and I loved it. And so I put the quote, and I was like excited for Big Magic, and she retweeted it, and I was like, Oh, Elizabeth Gilbert, I'm oh. fangirling right now. <laughs> Mine did not get retweeted by her. Oh, I'm so sorry. But it got favorited by someone. So, of course, we're talking about Big Magic. Big Magic is Elizabeth Gilbert's new book about the creative process. And she's, you've heard, if you've listened to us over the past couple of weeks, our references to her podcast, which apparently was only 12 episodes and ever was going to be 12 episodes, and now it's stopped. It was just leading up to the book release. Yeah, that sounds like it. I mean, that's what it seemed like it was going to be. That's terrible, though. It was good. <laughs> Whoa. 
I'm hitting things again. I'm getting worked up here. <laughs> she's not um she's not necessarily a podcaster though, so That's true. Well and now she has a book tour to go on, you know. Right. Yeah, so this is the thing about marketing. And it's not, it changes. So you, the, gosh, the number of authors that I encounter, they're like, well, seven years ago when I released my first book, I'm like, yeah, that's irrelevant information now. <laughs> you know, we have Facebook, we have Twitter, we have websites. We need to look at this again. Right. Yeah. And it's why, <laughs> I think I already mentioned this, but it's it's why when you sent me your short story that was being published, I was like, oh, well, you could release this as an ebook first. And I was thinking of all my marketing stuff. Right. And I appreciate that. <laughs> and you're like, I hadn't thought about that, doing it <laughs> But that I'm way. going to do but that now. Maybe. Oh. And now that's the... That's the thing I think is is being open minded to the suggestions that you get from people. Yeah, because I mean that side of the publishing industry. Like, who's gonna claim to be the ultimate expert in everything and not need to learn anything? Sam Harrelson. Oh wait, was that a rhetorical <laughs> question? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> he has requested, even now in the midst of our show, to be invited back to the show. Really? Yes. Well, we should have him back on. Should we? Remember, Why we, not? Don't get, we don't get to talk when he's on. <laughs> Sometimes we do. <laughs> That's true. But I think he would he would be a, actually a good follow-up. Maybe we'll see if we can continue this conversation about market and market analysis next week with him. Since I think that would be a good idea. Because I think this is I think this is an important conversation for writers and authors. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I'm thinking back to the discount bookstore that we told you, that we told you about la that I told you about last week about how they're just really not marketing well. <laughs> and that I told you this, right? Yeah, well, I was just thinking that somehow they stay open. They do, but they're struggling, and you can tell they're struggling because they gave us four pieces of literature or flyers to hand out to our friends to tell our friends about them. Yeah. But they have, and this is the thing, they have a Facebook page, they have a website. It's just not all working together. That is the key. Oh, yes. So tell Integrated us. Integrated marketing. Yes. Ooh, look at you. You've been doing some reading. So, <laughs> speaking of which, you're considering yes. combining your website and your blog. Um, yes. Well, so, like, that is in a stalled-out phase because my web guru is working on something else, I guess. I don't know. But, so, she's working on setting up my homepage so that it... Um, so that my blog posts show up there. Yes. Um, Why? Which is because it will help draw traffic to my blog. It will help my SEO. Exactly. Um, and it'll, help, it'll help draw traffic to my website too. And Why? plus, it's just it adds more um, 
more credibility to my website as well because I'm putting out articles on my area of expertise via my blog that then show up there. Yeah, they get cached. And so if you have some of these key words that other authors might be looking for, then your website could start to show up for some of these things. Yes. And if you create a website that has a blog as the homepage, you're creating new content. And every time you create new content or make a change on your website, then your website gets relogged, kind mm-hmm. of. And so that's, oh, this is being updated regularly. It's not a stagnant page that's just sitting there. Right. And that's what helps your search engine optimization. Yes. So I'm working on that a little bit. And I've been posting a lot um, more regularly on my blog. I think it's right now it's like at four times a week. I want it to be five times a week. But um, sometimes life happens and things don't get done. So it's hard to uh, also it's hard to create content, professional content every day, even every work day. It's kind of funny because, like, my process so far is that I spend, like, a while. I mean, I have a list of, like, topics. But even, you know, when you have, like, a list of topic ideas to to write about, like, you still have to narrow it down to, like, something specific because talking about broad general topics is kind of boring. So, like, I spend an inordinately long amount of time, like, spinning my wheels, figuring out what exactly my topic, like my subject is going to be that day, the examples that I'm going to do, give, um, that kind of thing. And then like once I figure out what my idea is, then I like run around, literally like run around in circles (laughs) until like there's enough centripetal force or something to like... Whirl up something. Exactly. (laughs) To fling the idea out of me and onto the the blog post but that's a actually analogy actually it's, it's really true that's kind of how it works I'm like okay 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 fine I got it and then I like type but um um it's actually easier when I'm working on um a project for a client like this week um I'm doing an overview for a client and um so I'm like in the process of typing up his report for him and some of the topics that I'm hitting on with his manuscript I'm like oh I should totally do a blog post on that oh I should totally do a blog post on that and like breaking it down and actually some of the stuff that I'm talking about with him I'm like hey I did a blog post on that copy paste okay let's (laughs) see if we can like revise this to like you know fit it into what I'm trying to tell you here but but that's that's the most authentic content because you know that at least there's one author out there who would benefit from that conversation (laughs) but honestly you know and I don't know if we tell our listeners this enough but our conversations are based on real life experiences we have so when I get on my soapbox about market analysis or building audiences (laughs) or expanding audiences it's obviously because I've had some experience with some authors that are doing it badly (laughs) and I want to help you're like please let me help you just just please listen yes yeah same thing yeah, when we so. get on our contract and rights and giving away your rights and signing away your rights. Exactly. We do this and we say these things because they're real. <laughs> they do happen. The struggle is real. Okay, well, I want to re- can I read you something from what I'm reading? Yeah. To get to get us back to the the point of non-cynicism. <laughs> you hear that? Yeah. See if I can find 
Mm. <laughs> Wait a second. You're hilarious. This is, by the way, listeners, if you hadn't already noticed, this is kind of how we work here. You know, we fly by the seat of our pants. And as much no, as look, we I have like a plan, to I have a bookmark. I have a bookmark. We, as much as we would like to make you think that we have it all planned out, um, we don't. But it's really okay. Um, it's, it's how we live our lives. Okay, so this is from Yan Martel, who is the author of Life of Pi's book, Beatrice nice. and Virgil, which I found at the discount bookstore. So, see, it all goes together. Wait, so which book are you reading? The, uh, Beatrice and Virgil. Beatrice and Virgil. By Yan Martel, who wrote The Life of Pi. Which, right. by the way, I sent to Stacy. Did you? Yep. Oh, yeah, we can reveal that our book, sh- book exchange train has gone now from East Coast to West Coast back to East Coast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's transcontinental, right? Isn't that what it's called? It is. No, wait, this is the same continent, so it can't be... Tr- yes, across the yes. transcontinental. Mm-hmm. Yes. There you go. <laughs> okay, so this is talking about a very successful writer who is talking about... Um, encountering his readers and then I'll read you something else in the more typical encounters readers simply wanted to express their appreciation and admiration now and again accompanied by a material token a present made or bought a snapshot a bookmark a book they might have a question or two they hoped to ask timidly not meaning to bother they were grateful for whatever answer he might give they took the book he signed and held it to their chest with both hands the bolder ones usually but not always teenagers sometimes asked if they could have their pictures taken with him <laughs> Isn't that the kind of readers we all want? That's what building an audience is, right? Yes. And this is what he says. As for fame, fame felt like nothing. Fame was not a sensation like love or hunger or loneliness, swelling from within and invisible to the outside eye. It was rather entirely external, coming from the minds of others. It existed in the way people looked at him or behaved toward him. That, I think, is interesting, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, and then this part. Henry was essentially unchanged by the success of his novel. He was the same person he had been before, with the same strengths and the same weaknesses. On the rare occasions when he was approached by a reader in a disagreeable way, he had the last weapon of the writer working under a pseudonym. No, I'm not XXX. I'm just Henry. (laughs) And then that made me think of your ghostwriting. Right. Which, by the way, did I tell you I got some more good feedback from them on that? I didn't know. You did not tell me. Yeah. Wow. Yep. They really liked it, so that's good. Okay, so if you want to be a ghost-written book, you know a ghostwriter now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but we've. But I thought that was interesting. You know, when we're talking about readers, we want <laughs> we want these readers who come to us and say. Oh my goodness, your words changed my life. (laughs) But the character in this book is realistic enough to understand that readers aren't always like that, so he published under a pseudonym. (laughs) Right. Brilliant. Well, I feel like you, when you publish something anyways, you have to put on a different hat for that. You know, like you wear your author hat, your published author hat, and you wear your personal self hat and there it's different parts of you because because while what you publish is hugely personal 
um, and emotionally deep. Like you can't, you can't allow people outside of you to affect that part of you. It's got to get to the point that the book becomes not like your arm or your leg because then if people don't like the book, it's like cutting off your own arm or leg. It's got to become a separate entity from you at some point. Which is what um, I think what Elizabeth Gilbert is, was saying yes. in Big Magic and in the um, the interview I watched with her. She was talking about how like it matters more than anything and it doesn't matter at all. So like when it's yours, it's yours. And then when you give it to the world, it's not yours anymore. It's the world's. And so you have to let it go. You do. And move on to the next thing. It has to Start be an extension. writing the next yeah. thing. It has to be an extension of yourself rather than part of yourself. That's exactly. you got to make the separation. Exactly. Cut the cord, if you will. But, oh. yeah, I think I heard another um, interview with the – did I talk about this already? I don't know. Anyways, with the lead singer of the Mountain Goats, um, and he was talking about how, like – it didn't really occur to him until after he'd started gaining a certain amount of notoriety in the music world. Um, but that like people take that art that he's created, his songs that he's written, um, and they like, they consume it and it becomes part of them and it becomes part of their experience and it helps them to get through hard things that they're going through or to celebrate good things that they're going through. And, um, that he didn't really realize that until he started doing like signing lines after shows, you know, and people yeah. up to and him and want to share his, share their experiences with him. And it and, had nothing to do with him and nothing to do with like the song he had made. Exactly. But so like, then he had to be, he had to learn how to be like a vessel for that so that he could take it, take their experiences and hold them while they were there because it's important to them to be able to share, you know, but then at the end of the night to be able to just release that um, because it's not, it's not his, Mm -hmm. like no matter whether it's a good reaction or a bad reaction to what he's created, it's still not his, it's theirs. And so like he holds it and holds that space for them while they're there to talk through things and, and to be appreciative or whatever. And then when they're gone to be able to just release it and let it go and, and, move on to the next thing um, and create something else. And sends it with them as they go. Right. Yeah. So it was just really cool. And then I was like, man, I really need to finish my stuff and put it out there for people. But you're also, I I see in you that you're also getting closer to the fact that, number one, you're going to be finished with a manuscript. Number two, this is going to be released into the world. So you're working on that processing ahead of time as well. Yes. For your sake, as I mean, as an individual writer. Right. So I just wrote a blog post about this on Harrelson Press, about the, the process of watching and walking with people as they transform from writer to author. Mm-hmm. And how the that's a creative process as well. And sometimes that creative process of the person's identity changing actually stalls the manuscript from becoming a book because the person's not ready yet. Right. So it's a creative process of writing and creating, but also of transforming and becoming something new as well. Right. Well, and I feel like, um, you know, sometimes you can release something too early, like before you've really had time to process it fully. So, like, it's important to be aware of yourself the whole way through and aware of, 
like what exactly it is you're trying to say. Um, because, and I mean, this comes back to like theme and things like that, that you don't really realize that you're weaving into your story until it's finished. But like, then when you go back through to revise, you know, you need to, you need to pay attention to those things and, and recognize what your themes are and whether those are the themes you actually want to be sharing with the world and how to, um, enhance them in such a way that people like connect with them as you exactly go. Yeah. So, but, and all of that, again, it comes back to self-awareness because if you don't know who you are, your, your audience is never going to figure it out either. Yeah. So here's a, here's another thing that I will, will say since this is the place where we say things. So, I've, <laughs> uh, what do you call it? You always call it a personal challenge or something. Don't you Maybe. When you like, when you decided that you were going to be off Facebook and. Oh, those are my 30 day challenges. Oh, your 30 day challenges. Which they're still personal challenges, but, and you could do 15 day challenges, you know, just whatever. Okay. Well, mine is that I'm going to submit a piece of writing every month until the baby comes. Every month until the baby comes. Well, right. So I submitted one last month, remember? Uh huh. Uh -huh. That was September. Uh huh. Wait, no. Well, it's still September. It is still September, but it was due in September, but I started it in August. Oh. So technically I counted that as my August submission. Yesterday- it won't be September when our listeners hear this either, though. It will be oh, yeah, October. And then <laughs> this week I submit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So that was the September one. Yes. Because this, <laughs> this submission is due on Friday, which is October technically. So right. that's my October exactly. one. And then I have one for November, which obviously I'm going to have to submit before the deadline. Um, that's halfway through November, which they're accepting a, you know, submissions now. So my chat, this is, and this is part of the thing that I'm trying to do with developing audience, going back to what we've been talking about this whole time mm-hmm. is I'm sending out short stories or short pieces, 1500 words to different places to see if I can get any traction with these kinds of audiences that I've not encountered before. Mm-hmm. And this is a this is a goal as for me as a personal writer, but also for Harrelson Press too to kind of get our name out there, because inevitably if you get published in these kinds of publications, then they ask you for a bio, right? right. So you get to include what you do and the information of your business and yes. the fact that you're a solopreneur. <laughs> too. Mariana's new word for the. I love it. For yeah, the week. I love learning. So this is another way if you're talking about, okay, well, how can I, well, and like you said, yours is, you released a short story before with the characters from your novel. Right. Yep. To kind of test out, send them out there into the world and see how the world receives them. So far so good. But I mean, we're, I haven't got the um, edits back on it yet. So we'll see how that goes. But this is this is a good way to expand your audiences. Send, I mean, even if it's sending an email, if it's right. making a call and just saying, "Hey, I just want more information about this because I happen to be a, I happen to have written about this, and I don't know if this would fit in with what you do here, but if mm-hmm. it does, I'd love to start a conversation." Yeah, you have to be willing to put yourself out there. You do, and I think that always asking questions uh, and acting as if you're seeking connections rather than, um, you know, trying to just, just the sell. benefits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> trying to just sell. 
is always good. Well, tell me what you're reading. Um, so I'm still reading Walk on Earth, a Stranger this week. Um, I read some while I was camping this past weekend, and it was still really good. I'm about halfway through it now, so going to hopefully finish that up this week so I can start reading Big Magic. Oh, I know mine is coming. <laughs> it said it shipped. I was so excited. Nice. And then I, well, oh, well, I won't tell you what I'm, we can't get into what I'm going to read, right? We have to stick to what I am reading. Or, yeah, well, yeah, the list, this the could, list. This could turn into a three-hour podcast. <laughs> the list is long and it changes regularly. So whatever we say we're going to read this week or next week, when we get back to you next week, we're probably not reading that. Yeah, we're probably so we reading something okay, else. Okay, so I won't, I won't stray. I won't stray. But I am going to read Big Magic next. But anyways. <laughs> but <laughs> I whatever. Won't start, I won't start my list. So if people want to learn more about the writing process or they want to check out these awesome blogs that you're doing lately, where would they find them? Uh, you can find me on the web at writingrefinery.com. Um, right now, my my blog has moved. It's at writingrefineryblog.wordpress.com. Um, and there's some pretty good content up there. And so please come and read and comment and, um, tell me what you think. Um, I'd love to hear from you. And then I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and Goodreads, all, um, writing refinery. If you search writing refinery, you will find me. So come look for me. Um, and, and let's have a conversation. If you're ready to uh, take your writing to the next level, I'm here for you. So let's work it out. Let's work it out. And if you want to know about the publishing process, about the process of transforming from a writer to an author, you can check out what I've been writing and thinking about at harrelsonpress.com, at Harrelson Press on Twitter, and Harrelson Press on Facebook. And until next time... Keep writing. Keep reading. And keep thinking. Yeah. Bye. Bye.